In his pomp as an Arsenal midfielder, Patrick Vieira was one of the most fearsome competitors in the Premier League, a man sent off eight times for the Gunners, a man who could stare down Roy Keane. As a coach, he's softly spoken, gentle even. But as the Eagles get deeper into 2023 without picking up their first win of the year, the pressure is building. The question is, can Vieira fight his way clear of trouble or will he be dismissed again? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No chance of me dismissing my top tipping team this weekend like a betting Batman. Marco Hayes emerged from his subterranean data centre to give us his views. Mark, Palace go to Arsenal this weekend. Incredibly tough game against a side that's looking to go eight points clear at the top. There's lots of talk about Vieira's position. Is he under increasing pressure? My understanding is that he is. It's going to be a tough one. It's not going to get any easier before the international break, is it? No, uh, it feels like a decisive moment for, for Patrick Vieira and it almost feels like uh, he's kind of, well, he's, he's coming to the end of his, his tenure. It's very difficult to see Palace turning Arsenal over because they've had a, a hell of a reaction really to that defeat to Man City. Five straight wins in the Premier League, two of which would be considered sort of season-defining if they can go on and, and continue at this pace and win the title. Um, but I think their performance last week when beating Fulham was kind of just a reminder of how good this team can be and has been this season. And now they've got Gabriel Jesus back in the fold as well, um, another feather in their cap. And I know rival clubs at the top have kind of scoffed at Arsenal for their bit of luck, really being able to feel quite close to a, a best eleven almost routinely this season. I so like that was Ten Hag, wasn't it? Moaning. Yeah, but I've seen I've seen it from others as well. It's he was the one who's kind of gone public with it. But more more football fans have actually kind of been been highlighting it. Really, you know, Casemiro was missing for United. Alexi McAllister and Caicedo missed for for Brighton. There's other examples as well. But uh, yeah, it feels a bit petty. It's a bit disingenuous, isn't it? Really, I mean, look, they've been able to play the same kind of 14, 15, 16 players for most of the season. So obviously that is fortune in some ways. It's also probably good sports science, isn't it, as well, to some extent, I think. There are certain clubs that have lots of muscle injuries and what have you. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm having that in time. Yeah, I'd say it, but they had been slightly fortuitous. But Arsenal, in, in years gone by, have been absolutely savage by injuries during seasons. So perhaps, it's, again, it's just football balancing itself out, really. But um, this match allows you to kind of go over a very old favourite, really, which is Arsenal at home to bottom half teams and Arsenal at home when odds on favourites because the numbers are astounding, really, since 2017-18. Uh, bearing in mind Arsenal haven't been in the top four since then, bar this year. They've got a 77% win record at home to bottom half teams in the Premier League. And actually in the 108 games when they've been priced up as odds on favourites at home in the Premier League in that sample, they've won 55, which is a 77% win rate as well. So Arsenal are 1.28 here on the exchange when they've been priced up at 1.5 or shorter at the Emirates during that same sample. Their record is 34 wins, three draws and just the one defeat. So the win rate includes oh my God, uh, that's increases to, yeah, 89% <laughs> win rate, which is uh, just phenomenal, really. But um, yeah, it does make Arsenal or trying to find value in, in Arsenal games when they're this price very difficult. And what I would say about Palace is they, they have been atrocious for a while. Um, 
only Bournemouth have a lower XG figure across the season and that's taken a massive nosedive as well since the World Cup break where they're averaging 0.74 XG. Um, but from open play, that figure falls to, to 0.4 XG um, since the World Cup break. It's just abysmal, um, which is it's unforgivable when you've got the likes of Eze, Elise and Zaha in your ranks. I know Zaha's not always been available, but you know there is players of promise there. Um, they are winless against the top half, winless in 2023, Failed to have a shot on target in three successive games before uh, doing so against Brighton. Um, rock bottom of the 8 and 12 game XG tables. Um, no sides generating a lower non-penalty expected goals figure over the last 12 or 16 game samples. And now they're facing Arsenal. But what you would say is they do have a knack for being relatively competitive and grinding games. Just five losses by two goals or more this season. And 63% of their games have featured under two and a half goals. They've only actually conceded two goals or more three times on their travels. So... Look, I'm not saying they're going to go to the Emirates and, and win, but I do expect them to, to be relatively competitive and try and keep the score down. Um, it tends to be what they're good at if you look at their matches, particularly recently. They've not been particularly exciting. You know, you think of the Man City match, albeit being at Selhurst Park. Um, so, yeah, I found it difficult. Um, I haven't got a, an official bet on this game, but if I was to play it, I might look to try and sort of Dutch Arsenal to win by exactly one goal and Arsenal to win by exactly two goals. Um, I can't see the Gunners winning by more than more than two just because of the way Palace will set up here. So here's the thing, right, with their squads, Palace's squad. If you took Elise out and you took Zaha out, is that a largely championship squad? If that if that was at the top end of the championship, that squad, would you be mega surprised without those two? Um, I think there's an issue in attack for sure, but I think Ducore, the signing uh, in central midfield, uh, should have been sent off against Brighton midweek, but he probably hasn't played to the the full potential he was expected to. But he's he's still a, a very solid player, should be well capable of of uh, holding a, a Premier League midfield together. I think Anderson on his day can be be very very good. I think defensively the structure rather than individual playing personnel is good enough to be competitive in the Premier League, and I think they've shown that. It's just further forward. And this is the issue with Patrick Vieira. Um, I feel like a broken record saying this, but um, I kind of had him in the sack race last year. <laughs> I had Palace as relegation, um, as a relegation play. And, uh, you know, they proved me completely wrong and they were brilliant to watch last year. But there was echoes... Did, of... we over, did we overestimate that? Because I remember we were saying, you know, oh, Roy Hodgson played this way, Vieira's playing this way, haven't Palace done well, they got to a semi-final, got some great results... But lost a couple of players. Obviously, Conor Gallagher going was massive because he was so important, not only offensively, but in their pressing game as well. Did we overdo it a bit with the Vieira praise at that time, do we think? Uh, I don't think. We, I think, you know, Paris were a pleasant surprise last season. Um, so perhaps we did, but um, I, I was impressed and I expected them not to kick on, but to consolidate this year at the very least. And it looked like they, they were doing so. They won four of the six games before the World Cup break and they kind of moved well clear of the, the relegation zone, hence why they've been stuck in 12th and marooned in 12th now for what feels like eternity. But um, what I say about Vieira is just the sort of echoes of what we saw at Nice, which was a yeah, very promising 100%. start with a with a promising squad with players of real potential. And then second season syndrome kicks in and they turned into the most boring team across the continent. And it just felt like a matter of time before his, he was kind of relieved of his position and, and things improved when he went. And maybe it's his character, maybe it's his persona, I don't know. But whenever I hear or see him pre or post-match, I don't often feel inspired. I don't often feel like there's a clear, distinct message being 
you know, adhered to there. So um, that might be really harsh. I don't know, but I'm trying to read between the lines to see why it's kind of fallen down. But you, you mentioned Colin Gallagher. I agree. I think that's a, a tremendous loss. And Dukure was brought in to be that guy, but he's he's never going to be a guy in forward areas. He will break things up defensively, but there Which should be enough ability. People. In a good he, he way, does. but he, he does, does just boot people. He's he an got enforcer. sent off the other day, should have gone off in midweek. It's something like eight yellow cards, I think, now, or nine, maybe. So, you know, that's the job he's doing, but he hasn't got that forward thrust that Gallagher's got, has he? Yeah, 100%. And uh, ultimately, I think this Palace team is falling down by what they're doing in the final third rather than, you know, flip reverse it to defence. So, yeah, that, that's the issue at the moment. And, and that's where, you know, question marks have to be sort of pointed towards Vieira because he does have players who can create opportunities and it's just not happening for them at the minute. And, you know, the fact that they're creating an average of 0.4 expected goals from open play since the World Cup is it's not just relegation form. It's, it's kind of finishing rock bottom of the pile by some distance form. Odds compiler, tipster and all-round good guy, Mark Stinchcombe, is with us once again. Stinch, it is like you kind of got sold something shiny and new after the Roy Hodgson era and then you're thinking, hang on, this is the same thing and now you're looking for the receipt because it's kind of reverted back to, you know, Elise sprinkles a bit on top. But apart from that, it's quite dull fare, isn't it, really? Yeah, I was very concerned with what they were going to do regarding the void that Conor Gallagher left because he was this box-to-box guy. It wasn't just a case. He or he, he obviously, I think, probably that is a bit unfortunate, but he probably gets labelled as a bit of a card merchant and then you automatically think that it's just defensively he had something. But no, going forward as well, he chipped him with a lot of important goals last season. Um, and they're obviously heavily reliant on Zaha in terms of goal output this season as well. And he's been injured recently. And, you know, sometimes, you know, he the reason he plays for Palace is he's not consistent enough to do it every week. So then you need other players to contribute as well. And, I'm not really sure how it's not been possible for them to find uh, a way for the likes of Eze, Elise, Odson, Edward, Mateta, all to fire together at once. It, I, I'm not sure why Vera hasn't been able to find it because, as Mark mentioned, defensively they're quite solid, so they're giving them the platform to go and score the goals. So, yeah, that's where they're that's where they're they're falling down. I don't expect that to change on on Sunday and and I think it's being widely spoken about that this could be the last game for Vieira. Um, so whether they'll have a new manager after the international break, we'll have to wait and see. But they do have, in my mind, the easiest set of fixtures compared to their relegation rivals, eight matches against the bottom nine the rest of the season. So the future is in their own hands. So if they can be more proactive or at least create chances that they can score goals, then I think they will be fine. But they're at, at the moment, they're completely failing to do anything in, in of that sort. Um, so in this game, I was thinking, you know, maybe uh, Arsenal to win an under 3.5 goals. It, it's 5-6. to six. We look at Palace against the, the better teams in the league. We saw against City last weekend, 1-0 defeat. Against Liverpool, they, they finished 0-0. Uh, Newcastle was 1-1 at Sellers Park. Old Trafford, they lost 2-1 against United, drew 1-1 at home. So they are capable of keeping these big teams um, to low, low totals, but they're just offering nothing next to nothing themselves. With Arsenal playing Thursday night in a, in a game that I do think Arteta will go a bit stronger in because they don't have another match for two weeks after because of the international break. Maybe Arsenal will be a little bit tired coming into Sunday's games and maybe take a little bit longer for them to fire. 
We're making a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking on a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There is a step-by-step guide for you on betting.betfair.com. Some mammoth games across Europe this weekend, including El Clasico between Real Madrid and Barcelona at Camp Nou. Barca, nine points clear at the top and Stinch if they win this game that's pretty much it isn't it yeah Barcelona chalked up as 11 to 10 faves here they're 1.1 on the exchange to win the league so yes if they win this that that price is going to collapse even further and yeah you'd imagine that's almost done and dusted especially with Barcelona being knocked out of Europe they can fully concentrate domestically um Difficult to disagree maybe with that price, especially not knowing the um, injury news regarding Benzema, who obviously limped off with about 10 minutes to go uh, on Wednesday night against Liverpool. Uh, You know, Barcelona have won nine of the last 10 matches in La Liga. Uh, However, there's been under 2.5 goals in in nine of their last 11. Um, We've seen that defensively their numbers are very strong in conceding actual goals. I think it's just eight they've conceded this season. And to Stegen's been like wildly good. Like he's done some kind of classical deal with one of the gods that he could be utterly incredible for a season. It's been amazing. Yeah, I think he probably has been the cornerstone, essentially, of their success. I mean, many people might point to, say, Lewandowski with his goals, but I I think Ter Stegen has been far more important than him. Um, Real Madrid, however, though, despite speaking so positively about Barcelona, they're actually undefeated in 125 of the last 140 matches. It's only 15 defeats, which I thought was quite, quite a low number. I know, obviously, they are top two in terms of stature in the league but I thought I was reasonably impressive so I thought maybe another low scoring game here I mean it's nearly 50-50 overs is very slight fave um, last time they met in the Copa del Rey a few weeks ago uh, one of my favourite bets won um, Barcelona won 1-0 but the first goal scorer was no goal scorer so if you, you back 0-0 your bet would have lost but if you back no goal scorer your bet would have won uh, but if you look at the two other meetings so this is going to be their fourth meeting this season you look at the two other meetings they both finished 3-1 apiece and both of these teams have been vol- involved in obviously high scoring games in Europe as well so I think the market is probably the same as me it's not quite sure whether we're going to get an open and expansive game or whether it's going to be tight and cagey so <clears throat> the bet the I have to go for this stinch because if the gap's nine, if it's a draw, Barcelona just say, okay, fine, we'll take that. We'll take a nine point cushion for the rest of the year. Yeah, technically they do have to go for it. But I think similar to when we discussed earlier this week with teams that have big deficits to make up, how are they going to, are they going to go from the first whistle? Are they going to yeah. keep things tight and go later? Um, it's too difficult to know. I mean, I think Liverpool, never really got going. I didn't watch Napoli v Frankfurt, I watched Madrid v Liverpool, but Liverpool never really got going. Um, that's obviously a one-game sample size, of course, but uh, yeah, difficult to really, really know. So I thought, <clears throat> as Mark probably will quite like to hear, let's focus on the violence. Yes, of course. No, um, and I'd be interested maybe if he's got a couple to add in here. So I was looking at, uh, no odds available at the moment, but in my mind, I'm quite confident we'll get a decent price. So I was looking at uh, a player double uh, for for bookings and the two players in question are Vinicius 
uh, for Real Madrid and Gavi for Barcelona. They've both been booked in two of the, the three matches this season and their card records are very, very good. So Vinicius, he's got 11 cards in his last 19, which I was quite shocked to see. Obviously, he's a winger. It's not really his job to defend, but I think all the ish, all the off-the-field issues that really have been dreadfully 100%. tackled by by La Liga. It's no wonder that he's getting upset. So yeah. completely on board with him there. And then Gavi... He's only 18, but he's got 23 cards already in 58 league and European games. And Gavi generally plays on the right of that midfield three. So I think there's an opportunity both will, will come up against each other. Um, because Vinicius is a winger, he's generally going to be a little, he's going to be a lot higher than most of the other players. So I'm hoping we're going to get like eight, nine to one here. And uh, I think that's a pretty decent bet. But uh, yeah, maybe Mark got another player he might chuck in as well. Did you see that Gavi challenge the other day where he effectively was doing the worm to try and head the ball? The ball was the, the ball was loose and he kind of just threw himself perpendicular to the ground with his head on the floor to try and head the ball. That is there is a screw loose with that kid that I absolutely love because he's just a pit bull. He will argue with anyone, he'll kick anyone. He's brilliant absolutely great fun to watch I 100% agree with you about Vinicius Junior he hasn't been protected he's been treated disgracefully uh, by the authorities in Spain and I do think the only outlet he has sometimes is to act up a bit and, and maybe have the odd loose challenge chat to the referee a bit more than he should uh, and that is 100% understandable because you've got one of the world's best players there. I truly believe that. Certainly over the last 18 months, I think he's been top three in the world. I think that's, you know, demonstrable. And yet he's not being protected in the way that he should be. So, you know, hopefully that's going to change in the near to medium term. term. Mark, some violence for you? Yeah, um, just on the, on the match odds... Um... I often view the Classico as, as kind of having a reduced uh, home field advantage because over the last 20 matches between Barcelona and Real Madrid, the home team has won just five times, which is completely insane, really. Um, but uh, I also think Barcelona, you, you know, you've already sort of painted the picture there, are possibly slightly overrated because of those defensive numbers. They certainly aren't as good as those defensive numbers. And anyone who saw the game against Athletic last weekend, where they won 1-0 for the ninth time this season, was not convincing whatsoever. Um, they've had loads a... of games like that, haven't they? Yeah. Tons of games yeah. like that where they've been, yeah, they were okay. But Stegen's made like two or three amazing saves. Yeah. They've managed to get a goal, usually a good one. They've got some amazing attacking players and they just kind of grind it out. But it feels like it doesn't matter that that's un unsustainable this season. But if they played that way going into next season, I don't think they'd be as far clear, would they? Obviously, we can't yeah. know for definite, but... At the, the moment, the strength, of, the strength of La Liga is, is undoubtedly weaker this year um, outside of Barca and Real Madrid. And if you see Barcelona, when they do step up in gear to, you know, across La Liga, Copa del Rey, Super Cup and the Champions League, they played either uh, Bayern, Inter, um, Real Madrid, Man United and Atletico Madrid. Ten games across uh, those opponents. They've only won three of them. And in the three games they've won, they've actually lost expected goal goals count in all three of them. Um, including that Copa del Rey match, which Stinch mentions. Barca only had four shots in that match. Um, obviously, the goal came by an error and then an own goal as well. So um, I think Real Madrid can be competitive. They've tightened up massively defensively themselves. In the Liga, seven clean sheets in nine. The only goals they conceded were a set piece against Atleti and then a, a really sort of amateur error from Camavinga playing at left-back last weekend 
against Espanyol. He won't be playing left back. It'll be Nacho or Mendy there on Sunday. Um, just, yeah, kind of going back to what Stinch was saying about cards. It's De Burgos uh, Benachea who's going to be refereeing here, who is kind of round average uh, or slightly below La Liga average. Um, but last week he did uh, Sevilla against, uh, was it Getafe? Um, Almeria. Almeria, yes, yeah, and uh, yeah, he, he went wild because the, the the situation required it, and he's one of those referees who tries to keep a lid on things, but he will ultimately kind of get the cards out when required. So I did some notes on this match as well, and I've got the two players that Stint just mentioned. Um, <laughs> the other two sign. I would say is uh, Nacho, if he does play at left back, um, is a card machine. Uh, he'll be up against Rafinha possibly and doesn't get much protection from Vinicius either. Was booked in that Copa del Rey game uh, with inside the first 10 minutes. And uh, just take a look at who plays right back for Barcelona because they've had a, they started to move Araujo over there to combat Vinicius and it worked brilliantly uh, in the last match. So they might do something similar uh, rather than Kunde. Um, but um, yeah, whoever plays right back up against Vinicius is bound to be in for a tough time too. But uh, yeah, there's a couple of doubles there. You could probably do Nacho and, and Araujo or Nacho and Kunde, whoever's playing right back, uh, as well as Vinicius and Gavi. Yeah, I think Araujo is probably their best natural defender, so it makes sense for him to go up against uh, Real Madrid's most natural attacking player. Barca on course to win La Liga. Emmett O'Keefe, one of our traders, is on this show a lot, uh, called that very early on. He felt Barcelona uh, would streak away and win the league, so it looks as though as things stand, he was right, but if Real Madrid win, maybe it changes the picture. Uh, I don't think a picture that can be changed is Napoli winning Serie A, because they are, wait for it, 18 points clear at the top. And Mark, they go to Torino this weekend. I thought there was stellar again against Eintracht Frankfurt. Ossiemen so difficult to contain. That goal from Kvaratskhelia last weekend against Atalanta is the kind of thing that ends up on tea towels and T-shirts and posters. They're just brilliant to watch. Yeah, love them. Um, so relentless at the minute, just a winning machine. And um very similar to the first leg I felt against Frankfurt, where Frankfurt kind of came out to play, showed real intent, but ultimately couldn't unlock that, that defence. And uh, and once Napoli got their opportunity, Ozzeman took it and it's game over then. So, yeah, I think on, on paper, Torino under Ivan Juric can be a, a really tough team to overcome. Um, but I have to be seduced by the price on Napoli to win this match at the weekend. They're 1.85 to win away at Torino. Um, the record this season, when odds on favourites, 16 wins from 18. Uh, the Lazio match recently is the only game they failed to win when odds on favourites. They've won 22 of 26 league matches this season, which is outrageous. <laughs> but the price is saying they've got a 55% chance of winning here. So it doesn't really add up to me. Um, there's no obvious or major injury concerns. Ozzermen was fine despite kind of uh, having his hand, I think, trodden on um, with one of his goals in midweek. The Wednesday to Sunday turnaround should be fine opportunity to rest and recover and as I say the relentlessness of this team is what impresses me most and Spalletti's um, just desire to get this done and dusted as early as possible because Napoli have been close in previous years obviously not this close but they have kind of come a cropper um, they've won 11 of 13 away they've scored twice or more in 10 of those games and I think most impressively they've not um, kept a clean sheet in seven of the last 10 Serie A matches as well so in both boxes they've been almost flawless Torino can be awkward but they've won just once and lost six times in nine against teams above them this season. Um, they're winless against the top six and they're facing an Napoli side that average close to two expected goals when playing away. Over 10 shots in the box 
And the recent prices away from home, 1.5 at Empoli, 1.64 at Sassuolo, 1.4 at Spezia, 1.34 at Salernitana, 1.49 at Sampdoria. Of course, Torino are better than all of those, but I think 1.85 on Napoli right now, considering their relentless drive towards the title, appeals. However, we can boost that price to 2.8 by backing Napoli to win and Victor Osimhen to score. Uh, now that's just too big for me to ignore because he's just, uh, I mean, we can't, no point sort of saying anything else about Ozzyman. He's just, he's just one of the best goal scorers in, in the world right now. One of the most complete strikers in the world right now. And um, yeah, if Napoli win, he more than likely scores. So just a, a big, big increase and, and good enough for me. That's exactly what I did against Eintracht Frankfurt in midweek for our betting.betfair.com preview. Uh, we've talked about El Clasico. The Dutch version is the clash between Ajax and Feyenoord. Stinch, first of all, there is genuine ill feeling between the fans of these clubs. This is right up there with Liverpool, Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid in terms of it's not a derby. They're from completely different places, but they hate each other. Yeah, and I think it's heightened by the fact that Feyenoord... I think that's, that's a good word, isn't it? Heightened, considering yes. the Ajax manager. I think it's heightened, <laughs> given it's heightened the... It's uh, heightened by the... Uh... <laughs> there we go. Uh, by the fact that Feyenoord are top of the league and have almost been relentless this season. They're, they lead Ajax by, by three points. Uh, both sides have lost just three games between them. So, yeah, massive, massive, massive game. Um, Ajax have been excellent so far under Heitinger. They've won all of his seven matches in charge, scoring 23 goals. Um, but Feyenoord are undefeated in the last 18 games. So, yeah, ex I'm expecting fireworks and hoping for fireworks. Um, Ajax are 8-11 faves, which possibly a bit short, but their, their, expected num their expected goals numbers are a lot more positive than, than Feyenoord. So that's probably driving that price as well. And, of course, Feyenoord take take part in uh, Europe on Thursday night as well. So there might, that might be another reason why Ajax may be a bit shorter than, than one would expect. Uh, you look at the goals, though, in uh, in both teams' matches. There's been 95 goals in Ajax's 25 games this year, just shy of four per game. Uh, 79 in Feyenoord, so well over three. And yep, yeah, so I'm I'm basically going to be really really greedy here, and it's a bet that I kind of normally do when the top teams in in the Eredivisie take on each other. And I think the reason you get a good price is because they expect that it's not going to be as high scoring as other perhaps Eredivisie games because the defences are better, but generally the attacks seem to win out. And it's it's both teams to score over 1.5 goals at seven to two. Both teams to score an over is 1.75, so that would be three of the four goals. And over 3.5 is 7 to 5. So again, that would be arguably three of the four goals. So to go from 7 to 5, 7 to 2, I think is an enormous leap. And it's what it's one worth chancing in my mind. Um, you look at when they played similar ability teams. Um, final, uh, so PS, uh, IX at home conceded uh, two. Uh, to PSV, Liverpool scored three there, Napoli scored six there, RZ scored two against them, who are, who are another team in the, in the top four echelon. Uh, just last week, Ajax conceded two at mid-table here in Wien. Yeah. It, there's, they play with so offensively that they always give a chance at the back. Uh, you look at Feyenoord as well. Uh, Feyenoord drew 2-2 recently with PSV, which is another one. Um, that was maybe fortuitous if you look at the goal times. I think it was a 96th minute Yeah, it was wild there. that game. It was really good fun. To get the belt. Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I, was, um, I was out, but I was, I was uh, watching the odds on my phone and... Um, 
even though it was only a few minutes to go, there was, the market still basically had a higher expect, expectation of a goal than you would expect given yeah. the like 88th minute in time. Yeah. Um, so it was really quite exciting to see that the, the 96th minute goal came. It was a double uh, but, from Ali Reza Yahambaksh, as I seem to remember, the Brighton legend Ali Reza yeah. Yahambaksh. Yes. Yeah, it didn't quite work out at Brighton, but again, it's another one where you can't quite quantify how good they are when they do so well in the Eredivisie, but it seems a lot more at home here. Yeah, Alfonso um, Alves, kind of, yeah. as we call Matea Kesman. Yes. Um, yeah, and then when Final would have played RZ, they, they've beaten them 2-1, 3-1, as you would imagine, but RZ are having a fantastic season. And then uh, away at PSV, they lost 4-3. Um, you look at them uh, against some other teams in Europe as well. They drew both games with Michelin, 2-2. They lost 4-2 at Lazio. So I think there's all the ingredients there for goals, basically, and I'm, I'm just going to be really greedy because, you know, uh, why not? Um, <laughs> last time they met in Amsterdam, which was 12 months ago, actually, Ajax won 3-2. There was 31 shots, 12 on target, and there's well over four expected goals. So, yeah, I, I think this is a this is a great bet. It's another one you can back any time the Ajax, Feyenoord, and PSV meet, in my mind. Sounds very smart to me. To France, Mark, you want to tell us about Ajaccio against Monaco? Yeah, um, I like Monaco here. Um, their sort of top three big bid has uh, stalled a little bit lately, just one point from the last three. They were well beaten at home by uh, Nice, who are kind of going great guns at the moment under Didier Degard. Consider the last minute equaliser at Troyes when they really should have won that match and then lost a narrow game at home to Rams last weekend. But um, you know, they're in need of a bit of a bounce back and uh, they should get it at Ajaxio, who are, to me, heading back to, to Ligue 2. Um, and Monaco have tended to be at their best on their travels. They've already won 8 of 13 away. But actually, if you look at their record against teams outside the top six, it's super strong. Eight wins, two draws, zero defeats. And they've scored twice or more in nine of those 10 games as well. I think they can do some damage in Corsica. Um, plenty of players of real ability in forward areas. They're playing a Jaxio team who, to me, never looked cut out for survival. In this division, a squad basically made up of uh, journeyman players from the lower leagues, uh, in particular League 2, and very little League 1 experience. They're only two points away from safety, which is kind of telling about how poor the quality has been down the bottom of League 1 this season. But they've lost 9 of 11 this calendar year. The two that they didn't were against the two teams immediately below them, Troyes, who were terrible, and Angers, who were absolutely atrocious. Um, for a very sort of defensively-minded team, they've only kept three clean sheets all season. And going forward, they're powder puff at best. They failed to score an 8 of 11 this calendar year. They did score in the reverse game against Monaco, which played out back in January. However, they were 5-1 down at half-time and lost that match 7-1 against Monaco. <laughs> uh, and as we know, Monaco are much better when they take to the road. But just on Ajaxio, they've earned 21 points this season. 16 of that total came against the bottom six. Their record against teams outside the bottom six reads one win, two draws, 17 defeats. They failed to score in 13 of those 20 matches, scored just nine goals in 13 Jeez. at home all season. Uh, yeah, Monaco around just trading just shy of four to five to win this game, but uh, you can boost it to around about six to five by backing Monaco to win and over one and a half goals. 13 of their 15 wins in the league this season have seen them score twice or more, and they're not involved in continental action this midweek either. I think the tagline for Liga is the League of Talents, isn't it? It should be the League of Talents, but just don't look at the bottom bit. Please don't look at the bottom bit. Uh, finally, Union Berlin's title push has been fading in Germany for the last few weeks. It's understandable because they've been playing every few days involved in Europe. Stinch, they take on a Frankfurt side that, as we've mentioned, was simply blown away by Napoli in the Champions League. It's quite hard to read Union at the moment because... 
I feel like the goals have dried up. That's a big problem. They've had goalless draws at home to Schalke and Köln. Where are they at right now? Yeah, I think that's the the perfect question, really. I think it's their smaller squad is starting to to bite, essentially, and yeah. they're starting to struggle to cope on, on both fronts. Uh, it be interesting to see how they get on against uh, Giroua in the uh, in the reverse fixture, or their second leg, rather. After you the already three. know, dear viewer or listener. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Stinch is in the past. He's actually in the past. He doesn't know. But you're there with the information. Oh, I know they won 3-0. Or, oh, I know they lost. So, yeah, amazing stuff. How time works. <laughs> It's, I think that game should be quite exciting because the market's chalked up. Don't say that would be nil-nil now. You know it's nil-nil. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's what I mean. It could be like a, um, overs could be a massive trap uh, in that game given the Producer six goals Jack in the first Jack can just leg. chop out whatever you've said. If you do all the, all the versions, he can just kind of slot in the right one. Um, but yeah, Frankfurt obviously come into this uh, with their Champions League exit. I don't think any of us were surprised to see that happen. But they're in a very good position to potentially get back into the the Champions League uh, in the in the league along with uh, sort of Freiburg and uh, Union and Leipzig battling for the for top four. Um, but this game, I just couldn't believe the the goal expectancy. You look at the goal line here, set at two point five, overs is five to four, and I just can't understand why. I mean, it's the Bundesliga, averages three point one seven goals per game last season, three point one two. Union's matches are averaging two point six seven. Frankfurt averaging three point three three. Because of the 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 over under two point five market, I'm actually going to. Um, be even more cautious in a way or um, and take the over 2.0 goal line on, on the Asian line on the on the exchange it's around about 1.75 so as long as there's at least two goals I can't lose and you just look again statistically 79% of Union's matches have gone over 1.5 96% for Frankfurt home away split Union rises to 82% Frankfurt 100% so I'm going to be very disappointed if I don't get a push at worst. We know, as you kind of alluded to there, Kev, both teams are overachieving in front of goal, which is obviously driving this prize. But I think it's just driving it far too, far too low in terms of the expectancy of goals. And we know that that this historically is an over is an overs league. So I just think, given this opportunity, I can't see anybody. That would be back in under 2.5 at 4 to 7, unless this was Syria B. Yeah, running theme in the Bundesliga this week, actually. Uh, good for goals backers, potentially, if you pick the right games. And if you've listened to these podcasts this week, hopefully you will. That's all we have time for on this time-travelling edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of great preview content across the leagues on our website, betting.betfair.com. We've got Premier League. We've got FA Cup. You'll get a preview of El Clasico. You'll get a preview of all the uh, top German and games as well. From Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.